Well, let's look at the scriptures. How many love to eat the bread of the word of God? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, proceeds, proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Old Testament says, thus saith the Lord, not just said. It's a current perpetual speaking. He is the bread in John 6 that comes down, not just came down but comes down, the perpetual feeding from his own hand. Praise God for it. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, break a piece of yourself off today for us that we may eat that bread that comes from another world. See, a man is bound to his own lusts and desires and self-centered living until he eats the bread that comes down from another world. That is Christ himself. So let's lift our hearts up to the Lord just in prayer. And uh, I tell my kids this, you can read the Bible all you want, but until your heart looks at Jesus, you won't see him. We want to look at Christ through the scriptures. Praise God. So Father, we thank you for the Holy Ghost who is present here and makes Jesus real. Real. The Holy Spirit sent to make Jesus tangible, audible, edible. We praise you. We worship you. We thank you for all that you have done in the great and matchless gospel. We magnify you and glorify you above all. For who in the skies is like you, God? Who's comparable to you? Who among the sons of the mighty is like you? You are God greatly feared in the counsel of the holy far above all who surround you. Who is like you, Lord? You made the waves of the sea and you still them with the raising of your own hand. I pray even today, may the tumult of our hearts and our minds be stilled by the raising of your, of your hand in our lives. In your precious name, amen and amen. So turn in your Bible to, uh, there's so many different places I want to go, but we'll start in Colossians chapter 1. I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. The older that I'm getting, I'm finding that I'm becoming more and more narrow narrowed on the man, Christ Jesus. When I first got born again and I started to learn the Bible and, and find out all different kinds of thought patterns, this caught my attention and then that caught my attention and then I was on this for a little while and then that on a little while, but I found out quickly that no other thing satisfies the soul. Only Christ actually satisfies the soul. And the specific thing that I want to point to today about Jesus Christ is his very name. Yes. <laughs> the very name of Jesus, Yeshua. It means salvation. It means Savior. So I just want to say this first. We should be always rejoicing in the fact that he is and will always be our Savior. That he has saved us. The the thought that none of your sins are counted against you is a source of unending and perpetual joy. There is no reason for a Christian to be sad because his sins are not counted against him. 
Sometimes I think we forget this. One of the things that Paul says about backsliders is that they've forgotten that their sins have been forgiven. And I feel like it's important to remember this because it keeps us in alignment with his person. If his name is Jesus, he is the one who has saved me from what? From my sins. The scripture says that his, his name was sent to the earth by an angel and his name is Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. Not in their sins, from their sins. He doesn't just forgive your sins, he breaks the power of sin. How do you know if your sins are forgiven? Well, the power of them are gone. It's the same blood that breaks the chain as washes the chain. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is him, Jesus, the son of God. The first point I have for you about Jesus, the son of God, Jesus Christ, is that his name is your salvation. And when we say Jesus, when we worship Jesus, we are remembering the effect and work of the grand and great gospel, Jesus himself. And this right here should be something that takes so center stage of our lives, that the, the entirety of our lives is built around this name, Jesus. He has saved me from my sins, praise God. Yeah. This, should, this should affect the way that we think. It should affect the way that we feel. It should affect how we live our lives when we believe that his name is the name above every name. There is only one name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. It is Jesus Christ, praise God. I think about my own life and I think about the more that Jesus rises in my life, the more disconnected I am from all other things. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There's an interesting passage in, in Acts chapter 1. The scripture says that they, they're looking at Jesus, and while they're looking at him, Jesus is ascending into heaven, which is an imagery for me that I think is incredible. The more I look at Christ, the higher he gets. The less I look at Christ, the less I'm aware of how high he is. But if I will stare at the man, Christ Jesus, he will go higher than the earth, he will go higher than all other people. He will go higher than me. How many of you know that one of the greatest things you are saved from is a life of self-infatuation? The biggest hindrance to people walking in the sweet bliss and glory of God's presence is self. Self-centeredness, self-consciousness. This is why the cross is necessary. Jesus says, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself. And follow me. So the cross is the end of self-consciousness. When Jesus says, when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, what he's saying is, love me more than you. And so when we have this gospel, this person, Jesus Christ, seen as he in fact is, he raises higher than us and it becomes a joy to gladly bow our knees and surrender to him. Yes. There isn't anything greater than submission to Jesus, praise God, because of who he is. John the Baptist has that incredible statement, he who's from above is above all. <laughs> very simple, very clear. There isn't a person, a place, a thing, even anything about yourself that should be placed above him who comes down from heaven. This is why all other religions are worthless because they're from the earth. But this is Christ who comes down out of heaven. Jesus, the son of God, praise God. So in Colossians chapter one, there's this interesting statement there's, a, there's this whole wonderful, almost him that rises up. He's the image of the invisible God. Praise God. 
You want to see, you want to see God look at Jesus? He's the firstborn of all creation. Some people have a problem with this. They don't understand what it means. I think even uh, the Jehovah's Witness will say that this means Jesus is created. Absolutely not. That is not true. This is actually even, this is so great of an exaltation of Christ because it shows you his humility. The firstborn of all creation means that he who created all things entered into the things he created. And firstborn means first status. So he, because he created all the things and then entered into the things created, he is the greatest of the things created. Though not created, he entered into the created things. That's an expression of his humility. That the very one who created the world would enter into and subject himself to the restrictions and frailties of what he made. That's, inc that's incredible. There isn't a king on the planet that would do that. Jesus Christ. So it goes on here. He says, for by him, all things were created, both in the heavens, on the earth, visible, invisible, where the thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things, watch this, have been created through him. Say through him, through him. and for him. Do you see the order of creation made by him for him? This means that to live for ourselves is to violate the law of creation. To live for ourselves with ourselves at the center is to literally rebel against the very order of all of creation. All things were created by Jesus for Jesus. Praise God. I think this is very important because this creeps into our lives in some ways, in little areas, sometimes un undetected it's insidious this self it's, it flows into sometimes relationships and we begin to put ourselves above other people or we look after our own interests and we don't look after the interests of others as Paul says in in uh, in Philippians he encourages us don't look after your own interests only but also for the interests of others so this happens it's it seeps in and then we begin to have divisions in our midst and it's all because we're violating the order which is all things were created by him for him. Once that for him is taken out, you have all kinds of divisions and friendships, divisions in the way that you think about God. You compartmentalize things. This is my area. This is God's area. No, no, no. All things were created for him or by him for him. This is so important. Actually, Revelation 4.11 says this, that, that God for his own pleasure, it says for his own pleasure, all things were created or he created all things for his own pleasure. So think about this for a second. All things were made for God to gain joy and pleasure from them. So if a man sets his mind on seeking his own pleasure, he is violating the whole purpose for his creation. Is, are you, are you, is that making sense to you? It sounds so simple, but it has to be remembered in our minds. And this is what we mean when we say Jesus has saved me. From what? He saved me from a life of self-infatuation. He saved me from a life of self-centeredness. He saved me from a life of selfishness. Selfishness is bondage itself. We think because of the upside down working of sin in our hearts and in our minds and in the whole world, as the scripture says, the whole world lies under the power of the wicked one. What that power is that rules over all the system and value system of this age is that everything's about you. And it gets into our hearts and even into the, to Christianity. And then we begin to turn the Bible even about us. 
We begin to read the Bible and make everything there about us. Have you noticed this in some circles? Some theological emphases is how wonderful you are. No, there is one who came from above, and it is Jesus Christ, and he is far above all. And we must have Christ as the source and center of everything. Jesus, the Son of God. And this means this. When you bow your knee to Jesus Christ, that means you are no longer the Lord of your life. As a matter of fact, if you look at what it means when we say Christ, Christ means the one who is anointed. Christ means anointed one. So in the Old Testament, you have three kinds of people that are anointed. You guys know this. The prophets were anointed. The priests were anointed. The kings were anointed. And they're smeared with oil for a specific task set apart. Very interesting how different these are. A priest is not a king. King's not a priest. A priest is not a prophet. Prophets are, they're just separated. There's some that kind of, kind of merge into each other. We don't know what the heck David is. He's, a, he's like merging into everything. But there's a distinguishing mark with this oil. But Jesus Christ is literally the fulfillment of all of these things. And when we have Jesus Christ set as the king, the center, the source of all of our lives, we find that he actually is the universal solution to all the problems of mankind. So it is with Jesus Christ. You may have Christ pointed at your face, but if you don't believe in him, you're not going to feel anything. But if Christ is pointed at you and you believe he is who he says he is and there is none higher and he is for you and he has actually done these things for you, you better believe you will feel something. Oh, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. What is that? Joyful, joyful Lord, we adore thee. Praise God. He melts the clouds of sin and sadness. He drives the dark of doubt away. Giver of immortal gladness. Fill us with the light of day. Praise God. We should be the most happy people on the planet because we know Jesus Christ. Say, Eric, I just feel like you're telling us things we already know. I feel like that too, but I feel like there's nowhere else to go. What else, what else is there? I mean, can you find something better than Jesus? Then just come up to me and let me know. When you find a man who dropped down out of heaven by the weight of love to suffer and die in your stead, you come tell me, you got a, you got a better guy than that. There isn't anybody like, listen, I don't know who has your interest right now, but I'll tell you this, they didn't part with their own blood for you. I don't know what it is that has your interest right now in your life and your focus and your pursuit, but I'll tell you this, whatever you're pursuing did not pursue you from heaven to earth. And then into the grave and then back into glory again for you. Praise God. Praise God. So you see salvation in and of itself is Christ. You know, we sometimes get focused on wisdoms You know, somebody so wise. Listen, Jesus told us someone greater than Solomon is here. You remember that? We sometimes we get focused on places and William would would second this statement because he's got a whole habitation movement and he wants to rebuild, in in a sense, the tabernacle of the Lord. He's got a burden for this. But he would say this statement that I'm going to say right now, that though we sometimes get focused on tabernacles, someone greater than the tabernacle is here. Matthew 6 tells us. Someone greater than the tabernacles here is all things. You say, Eric, yeah, but I still got these, these things. No, no, no. Put your faith in the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto full salvation. Yeah. 
The, the gospel is not the way to the power of God. The gospel is not like the power of God. The gospel, which is the man Christ Jesus proclaimed unto you as what and who he is and what he's done and what he will do, that gospel, he delivers you from everything. He doesn't, what kind of a, what if you were in a prison and you have chains on your hands and your feet and I kicked the door open and I set free both your arms and one of your legs and I say, you're free, bro. That makes no sense. It's actually worse because I had the notion that I was free. Jesus is not like that. He doesn't come and kick the door down and then cut off three chains. He severs every chain by faith in his name. Praise God. In, in um, 1 Thessalonians, jump over there real quick. This is 110. This is, theologians believe, historians believe, this 1 Thessalonians is the first letter ever written by Paul. Now, in this first letter ever written by Paul, in the first chapter, he explains the gospel or preaches the gospel or speaks out the gospel. So you have the very first letter with the very first written proclamation of the gospel right here. Aren't you excited to see what it says? Take notice as to what's, what elements are missing in the gospel you've been hearing compared to the gospel that's here. Even as that one preacher said he went to heaven and he looked at Paul and Paul asked him, are they still preaching my gospel? Or are they preaching another gospel? So right here in verse 10, uh, okay, so you turned to God from idols. Are you seeing this? It's, he didn't say you turned from idols to God. It says you turned to God from idols. You say, what's the difference? It means God came in with the gospel and stole all your attention. It wasn't that you were doing these things with your idols and you're like, ah, oh, this doesn't satisfy anymore. Let me look for something else. No, no, the gospel was such a bright light. It took all the attention away from the old things. Are you following me? That's the gospel. The gospel isn't something a man just kind of, you know, stumbles upon along the way. The gospel is the proclamation and demonstration of the nature and character of God that the heart of man has always longed for and always longed to see. Therefore, it takes your attention away from everything else. Turn to God from idols to serve. Now, when you look at service, service is an interesting word. And servant is an interesting word because it means two things, in my opinion. One, you as a servant give up the rights of your life to meet the desires of another. Huh? And number two, you trust that person that you're serving to provide for you. This right here, if we can get a service mentality, a servant's mentality, that means I have no rights to my life. As Oswald Chambers said, the only right a believer has is the right to give up his rights. You give up your rights, and then you choose to live your life meeting the desires of another, capital A. And you trust him to provide everything needed. So to serve a living and true God, not only is he alive, but he is the truth. Praise God. And then Pentecostal, yes, Jesus Christ is the solution, the universal solution. So when you say Jesus, it's good to remember he has saved me from the wrath to come. What is the wrath to come? Let me just give you a, just a, just a smidgen of what God's wrath is like. 
In Malachi, the scripture says their eyeballs will melt in their sockets, their tongues will melt in their mouths, and they will melt to the floor where they stand. You say, what is that? Is that symbolic? No. That's called the wrath of God. And Jesus has saved you from the likes of such things. Praise God. How? By dying in your stead. He gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us. This is what the name of Jesus means. Praise God. And Christ who is salvation. Praise God. So he is, and this is where I'll I'll end out here, but he is the prophet, he is the priest, and he is the king. He's not a prophet, he's not a priest, he's not a king. He is the king, the prophet, the priest. Everybody else falls in submission to him. And it's, I, I think it's time that he takes center stage again in our own hearts, in our own lives. I think it's important that he's taken out out and up and out of all of his things. He's been mixed in down here with all the stuff that, that, that is, listen, you can't mix the fountain and the stream. The streams flow from the fountain. And it's, if we focus on streams and not the fountain, we'll wonder why they're lacking in our lives. Are you following me? He's the fountain. Everything else is the stream. It must flow forth from him. So looking at salvation or looking at the prophet, let's just look at this real quick. Jump over to Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, the scripture says this incredible statement. It says here, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and many ways, in these last days, has, past tense, spoken, past tense, to us in son or in his son. Praise God. Stop right there. We know now all God's word. Gently with me. Because the patience that I have found in the man Christ Jesus is absolutely embarrassing. The amount of times he has just come in to rescue me from the same thing. He comes and he rescues. This is our wonderful prophet who speaks to us. He's also the priest who cleanses our consciences. The scripture tells us if any man sinned, we have an advocate with the father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. He comes in to save you and stand in your stead. This is what I need. Do you need this? You're going to need the word of the Lord. It's going to be in Jesus Christ. You're going to need forgiveness. Consistently, you're going to need God to keep you clean. Not only this, but you're going to need an intercessor. As a matter of fact, if you look over at 725, listen to these words. The scripture says, therefore, Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is Jesus Christ. Christ meaning the anointed priest. He is the priest who makes intercession for you. And notice what it's connected to, drawing near to God. This shows me something, that I stand before God as Christ because Christ stood before God as me. This shows me something. The only reason why I'm allowed to go into the presence of God has nothing to do with how good I've been. It has nothing to to do with how many good deeds I've done. It doesn't have anything to do with what I haven't done. It has everything to do altogether with somebody totally different than me, and it's Jesus Christ. This is why you you don't have an excuse for not living in the presence of the Lord. 
Say, Eric, I don't really walk in his presence. You need a revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is your intercessor by which you draw near and remain near to God in his presence. Are you following me? We need the great intercessor because he will pray for you. Robert Murray McShane said, if I could but hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would never fear. If I could just hear the son of God praying for me in the next room. And then lastly, he is the king of kings. You need a king. I need a king because bound up in our hearts is rebellion. We need Christ to sit his throne on our hearts. I wrote this down one day in my journal. Without my heart laid at your feet, it always tries to take your seat. Jesus must set up his throne on the heart. The throne of the heart must be occupied by God because if it's not, it's occupied by something else. Most of the time, it is ourselves. Say, Eric, what are you coming to preach to us? Jesus Christ, the Savior who saves you from the wrath to come and sets you free from all things. I come to preach Jesus Christ, who is the prophet who speaks God's words into your being and feeds you with the bread from heaven that is himself. I come to talk to you about Jesus Christ, who is the priest who stands before God on your behalf. The priest who is ever living to make intercession for you so you can walk and live in God's presence regardless of how good or bad you are. Eric, are you saying that I can just say, no, I'm saying if you really believe in Jesus Christ, you are set free from the power of sin. Does that mean I never sin? No, it means that your heart is bent towards God and you walk with God. And if you ever fall, you have an advocate with God, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who keeps you. And then lastly, he is the king of kings. Oh, so many people say God's the king of my life. Jesus is the king of my life. But their lack of joy and peace testify against them. Dr. Gladstone told us in Bible college, he said, if you lack joy or peace, the lordship of Christ is somewhere compromised in your life. Say, where does he get that from? Well, just think of the scripture in um, 1 Corinthians 4.20. It says, the kingdom of God is not a matter. When I say kingdom, this is the rule. That's Jesus' rule set up on the throne of your heart. The kingdom of God where God rules the whole man because he's the king of the man. As Madame Guyon wrote, when God has the heart, he has the man. So when he sets his throne up on your heart and he's the ruler of this house, that's the kingdom of God. David Hogan went in to pray for a lady one time and he says to her, the kingdom of God is here. And she goes, where is it? He goes, you're looking at it. (laughs) When the king sets his throne up in your heart, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. In other words, you can tell me Jesus sits on your throne. You can tell me Jesus is the ruler of your life. You can tell me he's this, that, and the other, and he's done all these. Listen, it's not a matter of what you talk about. What it is a matter of is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Are you following me? So that's why I can say this with great confidence. If you lack joy, if you lack peace, If you lack righteousness, the lordship of Christ is somewhere compromised in your life. But to say Jesus Christ is to say he's the one who saved me from hell, destruction, and freed me from all things. To say Jesus Christ is to say he is God's voice 
to me. To say Jesus Christ is to say he stands before God for me. As I'll say it again. He stand, I stand before God as Christ because Christ stood before God as me. I have a great need for Christ, but I have a great Christ for my need. That's the intercessor who stands on your behalf praying for you. And you have a king who is the king of kings, the ruler of all things. The scripture says of him that he works all things after the counsel of his own will. All things are his servants. He sits in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. That is your king. Praise God. Praise God. So this is what I've come to say to you. Jesus Christ. You say, Eric, you don't know what I'm going through. Jesus Christ. You say, Eric, but you don't understand. I got problems with, I got a problem in my body. Jesus Christ. Hey, you don't know, Eric, but I got a problem in my marriage. Jesus Christ. Let, let me just touch on that marriage thing for a second. Can I? Can I touch on it? Listen, Philippians was written because two women would not get along. So a, a, a <laughs> As Bunky used to tell me, you can't have two women in one kitchen. <laughs> you, two women were not getting along, so Paul writes an epistle, and guess what he chooses to do to help them understand the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? He exalts Jesus Christ. You say, how? Well, he says that God has exalted him, giving him a name above every name. Why? Because he descended down out of heaven and suffered humiliation by dying a death on a tree for me. The, the stooping down of God, or the great saints used to say, it, the condescension of God shows us a humility. And he says, remember what Jesus did. And that will cause unity between you guys. So in your marriage, it's the same way. The scripture says of a, of a husband, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. Colossians goes further. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. You know what the word embittered means? It means to lose feeling for. Do not lose feeling for your wife. Lay your life down for your wife. Say, Eric, why are you talking about marriage? I have no idea, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Lord, take us to the pinnacle above with you, my love, where all others fall off and our hearts become soft and our minds are solved and our wills dissolved, Lord. Take us up higher to be with you above my plans, concerns, and needs, desires, preparations, and dreams, above giftings and callings and streams and thinking on all lower themes. Take us up, Lord. Let me see your face shine. Carry me to you and blind me too so that I become new where so few are lost, ecstatically fastened to you. Bind me near, confine me near, align me so I can hear, fearing no more, nor restricted by ceilings or floors into the depths and heights of your person. Take me, Lord, oh, and free me and make me believe thee blissfully, oh, to be yours only. I praise you and I worship you. I thank you for your goodness and your kindness. We worship your great name, Jesus Christ, above all, the highest, the one bowed to by myriads of angels, worshiped night and day, day and night. We worship you too. 
we join with you. Lord, I pray you grab our minds and lift them above the things of the earth into you. Lord, grab our affections and lift them up higher than other things into you. Oh God, grab our wills and may they dissolve at your touch because you melt our wills by melting our hearts, God. We worship you and we praise you. We thank you, God. We thank you. Lord, I ask that you make it real to us again. Make the death of Christ real to us again. Make the man, Christ Jesus, real to us again. Lord, may we feel your kingship, feel your priesthood, and feel your voice in your precious name. And never forget that you are Jesus, the Savior, who has saved us from our sins and the wrath to come and freed us from all things. We praise you. We worship you.